Hi, everybody, and welcome to Therefore I Geek, episode 139. I'm Andrew. And I'm jacked! I'm looking at you, son! I want to bring you down! And we have Chris joining us. Well, let me tell you something, brother. We're going to go sit down and review... Fuck. I was <laughs> He was really into it for a second. I was like, for a kid who's watched wrestling as long as him, I was totally ready. Like, I winged it. I thought he was going to, like, improv this one to a fucking nuclear bomb conclusion. Nope. Petered out like a fucking faulty firework there. Yep. I just, uh, I realized that if I was just in front of a whole crowd of people right now with my championship belt in the ring and that happened, I would have had, like, a face full of garbage right now. So. <laughs> yep. Because you, you, watch, you watch this, you watch wrestling and you think, oh, I can get in front of a mic and kind of shit talk my opponent. But no, I, I, I would totally fall on my face. Kind of gives me a whole lot more appreciation for like stuff that the rock does makes it seem so easy oh makes you also feel bad for how roman reigns keeps screwing it up doesn't it oh my well well i pretty much pulled a roman reigns i don't think i ever showed you (laughs) the uh video actually what you did was a uh pretty much exactly what happened when john cena and roman reigns had a mic battle where john cena was like relentlessly giving him the business and i roman reigns pretty much just did, did exactly what i did and was that the was that the infamous second of all incident uh, I'm not too sure what you're referring to so apparently I, I, I was I'm doing research and apparently Cena and Reigns are going back and forth in the ring Cena's talking trash and Roman Reigns starts his comeback with second of all and then everyone just starts laughing at him yeah nice. and then he kind of falters and then yes, John Cena is like done. yeah and John Cena kind of was like it's a promo kid learn how to do one." Oh Jesus nice all right. it was alright so if you haven't figured out we are going to be talking about this past week's Royal Rumble and uh, in addition, we've got a couple of news articles. Not a huge, huge news week, but a little bit of a little bit of news. A little bit of news. So starting off, we finally have have heard from DC what exactly Brian Michael Bendis will be doing from for them. So Bendis is going to be taking over the monthly Superman and Action Comic title Action Comics titles. So he's going to be writing Superman. Seems kind of fitting. He's also going to be bringing over his um, creator-owned Jinx World comics, and it sounds like he's going to be helping run some other creator-owned comics. Now, I was uh, I was watching something... I was actually watching Cake Wars with, with Becky earlier today, but they had one for DC... It was, the, the theme was DC Comics because they were making cakes for the... when DC relocated their headquarters a couple years ago, and mm-hmm. um, and they were... and, and I at one point I think they actually showed... They, I think they showed Karen Berger at one point, who was running Vertigo for them for a long time, and I was like, man, I really miss Karen Berger. I really hope Bendis starts running Vertigo. <laughs> Well, uh, Karen Berger, I think, is over at uh, IDW right now. There's a lot of like Vertigo-like imprints out right now. Um, she is. I just I wish Vertigo were, would do what Vertigo used to do. I think they're kind of. Um, uh, they're, I think they're kind of doing that right now with uh, Young Animal, the DC imprint right now, with uh, that Gerard Way from My Chemical Romance. Is yeah, I just and that's. Yeah. So, so I mean, I've heard a lot of good things about his work and mm-hmm. and Young Animals in general, but it's Gerard way and it's my chemical romance and I just have a hard time taking him seriously I uh like I, I would... after a buddy of mine went to a my chemical romance concert and I mean like he was going to like all kinds of just any music like that was in the area he would just go to the concert because he felt like it and it was one of those like in the middle of the in the middle of the show 
they start remembering they start yelling out remember kids stay in school and don't do drugs and he was like what the fuck happened to rock sex drugs and rock and roll like this is <laughs> bullshit and he left the concert after yeah, that i've funny. had a hard time with my chemical romance i would um i would i would try to dive kind of head first at least into at least into his doom patrol stuff because that's been very good uh uh kind of very bizarre superhero comics it's funny you mentioned my chemical romance just the other day uh jessa and i were talking about those kind of lame mall rock uh, bands from the early 2000s like My Chemical Romance and The Used and stuff I like mean, the that. I so- mean, their songs were catchy but they weren't like anything special. Yeah, well, My Chemical Romance, like, back back in those days, I just, I kind of hated all those bands with an equal fervor, but now that I look back on it, and maybe this is just me playing too much Saints Row 2, because one of their songs are featured in it, but My Chemical Romance at least had, like, talent even though it wasn't really for me, even though it was kind of very much aimed at a kind of teenage demographic, even though when I very thoroughly wasn't a teenager anymore. So, uh, but his comic stuff is excellent. My only memory of My Chemical Romance is that one song they did called I'm Not Okay. And I will give, I think Andrew's right, they were really catchy because I have a distinct memory taking a chemistry final, like uh, when I was like a freshman in, in college and that song being stuck in my head at the worst possible moment and just wanting to scream like in the middle of the final because I'm trying to concentrate trying to crush this final and there's that damn song in my head and I don't think I've ever forgiven the band for that since nice and their and their catchiest song uh the video for their catchiest song uh na 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 and in parentheses na 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 uh the video for that features none other than Grant Morrison luckily I haven't seen that one that's that's fitting considering the Jared Way is doing Doom Patrol exactly yeah and he is very much his writing is very much inspired by that uh Back well, to I, I, Bendis. I, real, real quick, I was gonna say, if you're gonna do Doom Patrol, you have to do like Morrison Doom Patrol. Like you can't, you can't un, you can't unweird Doom Patrol. Yeah, it's never going back to the uh, <laughs> Fantastic Four ripoff that no, it's it started not. off as. Um, going back to like all this Bendis stuff, you know, they announced that uh, he was going to be doing uh, all the Superman books, which is fitting because this is Bendis going to DC is the biggest uh, kind of creator jump across the pond that has ever really been in the past couple of years. Uh, him bringing his own imprint over his kind of crime books it also makes sense since he has ownership over it yeah i was kind of i don't know i thought it was kind of weird that it, it mentioned that he was going to be making his own separate imprint aside from that um dude and i were talking about this when, when this first got announced like they had to have offered him something like big in order to jump ship either that mm-hmm. or he was epically pissed at marvel mm-hmm. and given how much how big a supporter of marvel Bendis had been, I had a hard time seeing him being that truly pissed. So I I had to assume it was something big, and this is obviously something very big. So I have a question, because I'm not super familiar with Bendis' work. Uh, I actually have one of his books in front of me right now, because I've been trying to familiarize myself. But the stuff that I like is his his crime stuff. So I've read his Sam and Twitch spinoff, and I thought both of those were fantastic. I actually really did enjoy them. And I have Goldfish in front of me right now that I'm I'm working through. Uh... And I do enjoy it. For both of you, what do you think he is going to bring to the Superman title that either wasn't there or will be, you know, what what are we looking for in the Superman title? What's the special lot something he's bringing? A of word balloons. ton <laughs> of word balloons. He's gotten <laughs> he better has, over time. He has. He is a, um, he is very vocal about his, um, and, and, I, and I say this from a place of love because I think he's an incredibly talented writer. He is kind of a devotee of the kind of David Mamet 
legitimate way of writing. So you kind of have in comic book form that kind of snappy back and forth dialogue. Um, so we're definitely going to see a whole lot more of that. And it does that type of dialogue that he does has a very distinct visual uh, feel to it. So a lot of, you'll see like a chain, a small word is kind of going back and forth. And it's always, it's, 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 it's something that you can kind of mildly tease him for, but it's honestly very easy. He has very engaging type of dialogue. I think he also does big concept well. I, I don't think he's quite as good as Hickman yeah, for, just for big say. concept, but I, I still think he does it well. I mean, he wrote, I mean, he, he, he is responsible for Ultimate Spider-Man, Jessica Jones, like any and he's, he's good at getting to the getting to the root of characters. He's very good at starting franchises, which is a um, thing that Jeff Johns is also. That was his biggest strength. He kind of he resurrected the entire kind of Avengers line from a kind of an also ran book of all the characters that were right. um, kind of not important enough to have their own solo series into his new Avengers book, which was you know yeah the Avengers, Avengers ever been. when 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 Bendis took over Avengers, it was pretty D level like D list heroes like i i mean i i have i have soft spots in my heart for a lot of them but like jack of hearts yeah that was a, that was a jeff john's invention believe it or not i can believe it yeah um but i have a very good feeling about his run about his kind of future run on superman just because right now they're doing kind of damage control with superman it's been pretty good stories that um uh peter tomasi has been and patrick gleason have been telling but it's very much been like damage control and for the new 52 and also kind of propping up this new character character which has been superman's son um so i think once that groundwork is set when bendis comes on it's going to be uh it's going to be some of the biggest books do we have an artist uh, for in... do we have an artist for action comics or superman yet that he's going to be working do with indeed we do indeed um at least for uh action comics a thousand which is coming out in april right um he is it's a quite a murderer's row of artists that he's working with and um it's going to be uh ivan reese uh doc shatton Shatner, Ryan Souk, Kevin McGuire, Adam Huge, Adam Hughes, I'm sorry, not Adam Huge, that was dumb, and uh, Jason Faba. Who, no, uh, Adam Huge is a talent for browser. Is that, <laughs> is that his, that's not the action comics, that's his, that's his mini Man of Steel miniseries. That's his uh, weekly, yeah, it's going to be his weekly series. Right, but I'm talking uh, about the actual monthly books, do we have, do we have artists for that yet? Uh, that I'm not sure, that I'm not uh, sure who's going to be on that, I don't think they've gotten that far yet, or they've announced anybody yet oh so never mind be... never mind i found it oh yeah uh just part of a quote here so there's no better place to put put it in than action comics 1000 with our publisher jim lee drawing it oh hot damn i can't i can't decide whether or not that's good or whether or not i should face palm uh <laughs> see how i'd be curious how many issues jim lee has drawn because you know it was jim lee's one he's kind of notoriously slow nowadays <laughs> and two his designs were the basis of the kind of terrible new 52 designs. Right. You know, a lot of, lot of wire, a lot of piping in the costumes, a lot of high collars. It was, um, he'll, he'll probably be on just for like the first arc or something like that. Like yeah. his artwork itself is, you know, if he has someone good inking it, it's pretty incredible action oriented stuff. It's just, hopefully it's just for an arc. Yeah. About halfway through this, uh, this Forbes article, there is actually a, the cover image that Jim Lee did. And it's actually really quite nice. And it's the old school Superman costume with the trunks, with the trunks. Yeah. There was a good week or so where everyone was, uh, kind of very happy about Superman's crotch. 
crotch. I thought it was really funny. Yeah. It's really cool because that's kind of like Superman's crotch is really the last vestige of the kind of mistakes made during the new 52. And now that's wiped away. <laughs> All right. So, so keeping with Justice League in mind, uh, I was talking with Dude earlier this week and, I, and I'm finding it fascinating how, I think Dude, you put it, how disconnected certain fans are from reality and the, mm-hmm. the level of revisionist history we're already getting uh with regards to Justice League. So there was, there was a post on, on comicbook.com talking about some of the shakeup for for Warner Brothers and for Justice League, and basically that Warner Brothers knew that this was not going to go well, like leading into it. And the tone of the article is just really interesting because they are trying to dump all of this on Joss Whedon. That like hmm. Zack Snyder had this grand vision and then Whedon came in and just crushed it. So th- they, they constantly use use verbiage like so from the, the first paragraph we talk about uh, Justice Lee ended up being a mess of a film lost somewhere between Zack Snyder's original vision and the studio film that Avengers director Joss Whedon tried to place tried to piece together oh Christ I'm looking at paragraphs <laughs> Chris that is, at that is the absolute down. that is the proper response yeah the, I'm looking at paragraphs down it says the cynical part about this alleged version of events is that the studio having meddled with Snyder's vision of Justice League <laughs> so extensively still couldn't put it together and instead of instead just jumped it jumped the movie into theaters under the pretense of offering a worthwhile movie experience before you try and argue that this is basically the mo of any movie studio which it is <laughs> let's take a minute to recall the careful orchestrated first screening that the review embargo saw rotten tomatoes bend all of its unusual uh, usual rules and formats for a quote special event reveal of Justice League's unfavorable score. Yeah, I, look, here's one of those things where I'm, I don't hate the Snyder films, but stop. We The studio wasn't happy what Snyder was putting together. They they had a lot of money sunk into this project. Did we finally, I, now I gotta remember what the final budget was. I have heard now, 250, let me 50, look real quick. That's what I heard too, is 250. That's a lot of freaking money, and we've talked about this numerous times, is you gotta turn a profit. It doesn't really matter if the movie is good or bad, really. You gotta to make money that's really it's really it you can even anger the fans and if you make money studio's gonna be okay so the studio probably saw this going oh god we're headed we're, we're headed face long into a disaster let's try and see if we can salvage this and they got whedon to try and salvage it and the end result was they couldn't salvage it even with whedon they didn't salvage the film Right, and let's, they got, I mean, baseball. It's funny that like they say Avengers director, like that's a bad thing. Like right. those films like, haven't grossed like two billion dollars total. This is like what they we, didn't we change. Like they didn't change uh, the way pop culture movies are made in the kind of the new era. Right. Well, it, I mean, it's the thing that kills me is like Avengers was one of those historical touchstone moments in cinema history, certainly in the 21st century, that's going to be remembered for a while. And again, whether you like the film or not, it doesn't matter. Those are just the facts. It paid. It well, made I mean, $200 million on I mean, its opening I mean, weekend when it was predicted to only make 140 So it was well, huge. I mean, look at, I mean, if we if we just exclude Avenger, like the first Avengers, we just look at Age of Ultron, which yeah. objectively is not anywhere near as good a film right. in no way, shape, or form. I mean, I, yeah. I enjoy it, but if you're going to compare the two, it's not a comparison. Yeah. Avengers, think, uh, Avengers, or Age of Ultron in the first week, in the, I'm sorry, the first weekend sold more tickets than 
than uh, Justice League in three weeks of run. There you go. I think the funny, you know, there, there's so many uh, kind of funny takes and kind of head-scratching uh, moments when you kind of read something like this uh, very, very silly article. Like Zack but, Snyder being uh, a visionary? <laughs> well, I think the, the craziest thing is, like, you know, fans have this kind of fear that DC movies are getting dunked on and that these movies are kind of being unfairly reviewed or whatever, and it's just like, like, what is the ultimate fear that DC's not going to make... I, Warner Brothers isn't going to make DC movies anymore. It's like, They've been making oh, DC no. movies longer than most of us have been alive. Yeah, it's just like, you know, Justice League did kind of marginally well, marginally bad at the box office, and not too many people liked it. Or you think, like, the executives are going to be like, oh, no, DC didn't make, Justice League didn't make the amount of money that it just fell short of the millions of dollars. That's it. No more DC movies. It's, it's, it's absolutely ridiculous. Right. They, if they made another Fantastic oh, oh, Four film, they're making more fucking DC films because pretty much every DC film is still better than the last Fantastic Four film. Oh God, yeah. And they own all this IP. Like they're gonna just just keep trying. That, that's the thing I keep going back to. I feel I feel like I'm repeating myself because it's just one of those things where if these movies show a potential for making a decent profit for Warner Brothers and and the DC Extension Studio, they're gonna take a crack at them. It's just Snyder's era is done because he we tried it. It didn't really work the way they wanted it to so we're moving on i don't yeah and i, I agree with chris it's like what's the big fear that they're, obviously they're not gonna not make dc movies they're just gonna not make Zack snyder dc movies. that for many people might be a good thing no i mean and I, we've talked about this at, at length but i think the model they need to follow is not what marvel and disney are doing because it's not going to work for them they need right. to do what fox has done for the last couple of films right L- low budget high impact you know hit your target audience and you know stick the fucking landing yeah yeah, get, yeah, I I would agree, and hopefully the new guy we've we've covered this on a previous podcast. The new guy they've brought in hopefully will. Uh, I'm trying to remember his name now. I can't remember. I know it started with an H. Yeah, I'm, I got it nothing. It's like a for Japanese you. name. No, it's fine. I remember his name, but you know he was the guy who put together the Conjuring and the It movies. Yeah, it's like yeah, I, I, this is probably the guy you want right now. Go in there with a, a reasonable budget, high concept, maybe something a little off the beaten path. Give it a different look. Not, not don't make it all look carbon copied because that's the my one complaint with some of the Marvel movies is they were looking all pretty much the same. And that was a fair complaint with the DC movies. They're all looking like Snyder film. Right. Make them look different. Make them look di- and then see what happens. I mean, I mean look, we're going to deal. Aquaman's coming out to, at the end of the year and then we'll see what happens in 2019 into 2020. Yeah, I was going to say the um, yeah, I mean, that was part of what what was so great about Deadpool and Logan was they were they not only did they feel different, they look different. Yeah. And they did exceptionally well. I mean, for Christ's sake, Logan is nominated for an Oscar uh, for best adapted screenplay. Yeah. Yeah. And we're getting these, I guess, last two Avengers movies movies, which is gonna, you know, it's gonna be the last kind of paramilitary type of story that they've been starting with Avengers and, you know, going into all the Captain America movies, so we're probably gonna be even seeing more variety for Marvel uh, if something like, I don't know, Thor Ragnarok or Guardians of the Galaxy is any indication. Yeah, I'm I'm curious if if Marvel's gonna take, right, so I mean, obviously they're finishing the Avengers storyline, but to an extent, 
Ant, I think, like Ant-Man and Guardians and Thor Ragnarok all kind of made a similar quirk, quirky turn. And I hope that's not where everything's going. Time will tell. No, time will tell or, or, I'll, or I'll be chewing on my cyanide tooth. One of the two. <laughs> all right. So the last thing I've got before we jump into some some wrestling is that once again, Stanley's health is in the news. Mm. Uh, Stan was... Uh, rushed to the hospital for what looks to be like 10, 12 hours uh, a couple days ago. Looks like he was released later that night. But, I mean, let's be honest, Stan's in his mid-90s now. Yeah. I mean, I'm glad he's okay. You know, I wish him the best. But, you know, like you said, without putting, without saying it too much on the nose, he's in his 90s. Yeah. Prepare yourself. I was, uh, just a couple of weeks ago, uh, before he was in the news again, I just, random thought kind of crossed my head, and I kind of asked this on social media, just, what do you think Stan Lee did? does all day oh i've wondered that myself well according to one lawsuit he harasses nurses but that's you know (laughs) yeah stan stan you guys didn't hear that one no i haven't heard that one no now there's so many of them i've lost track of them yeah stan lee's apparently apparently being accused to be perfectly honest stan if if it's true stan lee's actions sound more like moderate to starting to be severe senility Mm. yeah but i I mean uh, it's just it's 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 kind of crazy because even not even now when he's in his 90s right now even when i was a kid stan lee seemed less of a person and more of just like stan lee the character so i was always very curious about like kind of the man behind that like what exactly stan lee does because i'd imagine he's kind of has that kind of stan lee cartoonish personality but just doing like menial things washing like, the dishes large, like washing the dishes <laughs> like oh these lasagna stains are just not coming out we'll have to use superhuman strength with this brillo pad to get it <laughs> off or when he's gardening or when he's gardening like ah these herbs and spices they are not reacting to the power of the sun and i just just i can't i can't imagine him like having a normal day so i was just very curious what his like hobbies and yeah doesn't well andrew you met the man at one point i mean you had a brief interaction with him as like a like a fan photo opportunity any insight i mean he was very nice very very friendly you know i mean especially with stanley if they're just trying to get so many people through it's kind of like hi i really appreciate your work thank you okay goodbye like yeah you know it's it, it's very like hi i appreciate your work can you sign seven boxes worth of your comics for me no no the part that the part that gets me actually is uh, a friend of mine from high school i don't know if she still is for a number of years was actually his assistant at Phoenix Comic Con. Oh. Like, she was, she repeatedly got assigned to Stan Lee. Hmm. I got some dirty looks from the bodyguard because I looked up, like, I get to the front of the line, she's there handing him pens, and I was like, oh, this isn't over. And the, <laughs> the like, you know, 600-pound bo- giant bodyguard that could, like, crush my head between two fingers starts giving me the eye, and I'm like, I did to her. Her, I'm talking to her. Not Stan, her. He has a posse whenever I've seen him at Comic Con. Oh, he, oh, yeah. Uh, royal guard surrounding yeah. him. Yeah, no. Oh, definitely. I mean, yeah. I mean, I mean, you know, I mean, like I said, Stan's getting old. Unfortunately, you know, there's no better, there's no other way to put it. His days are getting getting numbered here. But I, I do think he's he's been a, a a solid spokesman.
spokesman for comics for a long time. Yeah, whenever you think of Marvel, you think of uh, kind of Stan Lee being the ultimate cheerleader for it, and it's uh, he's an amazing hype man. For He was an amazing hype man for them. Yeah. Uh, speaking of Marvel, just a, a different topic. Did you guys take a look at the Ant-Man trailer that dropped uh, sometime this past week? Yes. I haven't, no. I, have, I, I haven't seen it yet. I enjoyed it. I think it looks interesting. Yeah, I don't know. Part of me was a little less than thrilled, but uh, I don't, just maybe it's because, like, oh, this doesn't have anything to do with Edgar Wright, and it's I'm, I'm having an Edgar Wright withdrawal, but I don't know. We'll see how it works out. Chris, you haven't seen it yet? I haven't, but, like, Edgar Wright, like, I highly doubt that, um, like, the original Ant-Man movie had anything to do with Edgar Wright's vision anymore. Maybe it had some of his, like, little concepts. I think but... that was it. It's a little concept, because it did feel like a different movie. We, we talked about this. I just looked at it and went, oh, this is what they've been doing for a while now, so I don't yeah. know. Yeah, I, I kind of I kind of cried all my tears uh, <laughs> regarding that already when the first one came out. So I'll see it, and I'll see it, and well, I, I mean, yeah, it's like we were talking about. You know, the, they just kind of they've all a bunch of them have taken this kind of quirky turn. So to an extent, yeah, this with, is what we're doing with Marvel movies now. I just kind of well, well, pretty much any superhero movie. I just I don't automatically go see it on opening weekend. I I'll gauge it to see if I'm interested or not in it because like I think I. I think when The Amazing Spider-Man 2 was coming out and I was just like, oh boy, gotta lag myself over to this uh, latest uh, abomination-looking movie. And I just had this just epiphany. It was like, wait a minute. No, I don't. And I sat down and I barely ever thought of that movie again. Um, I did the same thing with Doctor Strange. Like, it didn't really... It looked it looked perfectly cromulent, but at the time, at, during that opening weekend, it wasn't something I wanted to spend $5 on. So I waited. Um couple of years saw it on netflix and i was like oh that was okay very much glad i didn't see that in theaters um and i think that's been uh, i think i'm gonna have the same uh kind of mantra with ant-man if it looks like fine if it looks like something that i can you know sit on my couch and twiddle through my phone on i'll i'll watch it there if it's not I don't think it looks like an amazing theater going. I'm just going to talk. Okay. All right. Chris, dude, Royal Rumble, go. Oh, yes. So this is fun. So the Royal Rumble occurred wait, last... Wait, wait, wait. So wait, wait. We're, wait. So we're not talking about the David Arquette wrestling movie, Ready to Rumble? No, we're uh, not. <laughs> oh, no. Oh, man. Throw all your notes out. Start oh, over. Shit. Oh, shit. Oh, I watched that crappy movie again for nothing? Oh, oh yeah, that was the Oh, plan. you say that like, like, it's, like it was punishment to you. Oh, listen. You're I a masochist am... like that, and you loved it. Listen, I am... You're going to get off this, and you're going to go watch it again just for the hell of it. <laughs> You Listen, sick fuck. I am a fan. I am a connoisseur of everything Russell crap, but I don't think I could go through that thought, movie again. For, for for like half a second, I thought you were going to say you were a connoisseur of any, everything David Arquette. Oh, God. That's, that's, a, that's a peculiar obsession. Of all the if, obsession. Oh, if you're a wrestling fan, he factors into... Uh, wrestling history quite well, which uh, spoiler alert, we will do in a, in a little bit on this episode. Oh, here we go. Jesus so, Christ. So, so basically, the way this came about was I, we want to try and expand what we're covering in the entertainment world, and I have been taking Chris to watch UFC events. And I noticed as we were having conversations about the UFC, uh, Chris was kind of following the conversation, but also trying to make it relatable, and he was using wrestling as a way to make it relatable and then i found when he was talking to me about wrestling i was doing the same thing with the ufc so by just co pure coincidence he 
talk literally you told me about a month or so ago you were like hey ronda rousey is showing up at the royal rumble at the end of january and i was like you think so he's like yes i was like all right so this is a thing i want to watch let's watch this and so i sat and watched the royal rumble four and a half hours to see ronda rousey come out at the very last minute of the show and point to the wrestlemania sign very awkwardly and then walk away <laughs> that's, that's pretty much what happened yeah, however it's... i did get to watch my first major wrestling event since i was in eighth grade and i will say it part part of me was like oh this is still kind of fun and part of me walked away thinking well, that was a little confusing what's going what's going on here but see, see more, you should be before, you, you should be glad you didn't voice that because I, I i did that with chris and then i got a two and a half hour dissertation about matt hardy <laughs> that almost <laughs> happened i actually I, I know when when where where i know how to pick my spots I know how to pick my spots with Chris and wrestling, particularly when an event is going on. The, the problem I was I, I wasn't reading Jess's body language when she was trying to wave me off. Right. Uh, oh. But but more to the point, before we get into kind of a novice's point of view of the event, Chris, just what are some of the things that you come away from? This is, I guess, one of the big four events of the year for WWE. This yes, is the first is. one of 2018. What are your takeaways from it? Well, um, well first, I just want to say that this was the best uh, kind of Royal Rumble event in many many years um it was very satisfied with this event it was uh very exciting throughout um before we kind of go on to say why it was the um i guess the biggest like the best one i just want to give a little background of what this is kind of because it kind of factors very heavily into kind of wwe's version of sweeps which is what they call the road to wrestlemania so the royal rumble itself is a battle royale match a battle royale match is when you kind of cram you know up to 30 men 30 big angry sweaty men inside a ring and in spandex all, in spandex basically their underpants <laughs> and they kind of have this all-out chaotic battle kind of not it's not a match for, to watch kind of technical precision moments it's just to see people get clobbered and the whole point of the match is to throw people over the top rope uh this was the type of match that would highlight say your andre the giants of uh the professional wrestling world just or big show or the big show yes yeah. or um so back in the uh i guess the late 80s wwe had this idea to kind of make their own spin on the battle royale match instead of having 30 men crammed into the ring all at once you start off with two men they start to battle and then every 90 seconds another person enters the ring you have kind of have this Good slow Lord. drip into the ring so the match so, lasts about an hour a little <laughs> over an hour would you say maybe 60 to 65 minutes i would say it's royal rumble matches usually go to like no more than an hour and 10 minutes or so okay yeah yeah um and typically what happens is uh like you mentioned this is kind of one of the i guess the big four events for wwe the other three being survivor series SummerSlam, and the granddaddy of them all wrestlemania and um, the main stipulation of this match basically to if you win the match you get a championship opportunity at wrestlemania the biggest show so whoever wins this match is getting like the big push like the highlight spots um if if anyone listening wants 
to kind of go out and watch the best Royal Rumble, I would highly suggest going and finding the 1992 Royal Rumble since that has all of the like wrestling characters that you probably know, you know, your Hulk Hogan's, your Undertaker's, your Macho Man's, your Million Dollar Man's, and was actually for higher stakes, that was for the championship, but it was very cool, action-packed Rumble, a whole lot of uh, character, you'll, without a doubt. So I'll say this, just watching it as, as a super, super noob, uh, again, watching, having watched wrestling as a kid and then watching this again, I, I had no idea who was in the ring until, well, except for like the big, big stars like Cena and then some of the people Chris has familiarized me with, like Roman Reigns and uh, Finn Ballard, but I was kind of blown away. Did I say his name right? Uh, no, it's uh, B-A-L-O-R, Balor. Balor, okay, so Finn Balor. And, but when Goldust showed up at like number 28, I got a little excited because he's been <laughs> around forever. Here's how long Goldust... Uh... Dustin Runnels has been in the wrestling business. His big WrestleMania moment was an O.J. Simpson joke, like a timely O.J. Simpson wow. joke. Wow. <laughs> yeah. Where he was uh, being chased by Roddy Piper on the L.A. Expressway in a white Bronco. So <laughs> that's how long he's been around. And so, the crazy thing is that now in 2018, Goldust is better than ever and more skilled than ever and more athletic than ever. It's like it's a serious Benjamin Button case going on here. And what I will say this is I know it sounds like a really long time to watch a wrestling match but the the drip 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 of wrestlers entering the ring actually did make the match feel like it went swiftly even though it was an hour I, I, I unless you are just you just despise wrestling you don't want to watch it I think most people who watch this would say that the the way in which they bring wrestlers in makes the match feel like it's expedited uh, and especially how they have these kind of peaks and troughs in over the course of the hour is actually pretty well placed out and they did space I thought the sight gags pretty well apart from each other so who is this one one character who came out that I I thought the gag was fantastic. It was um Heath something. What's the guy's name? Heath, Heath Slater, which okay. um this was I... so funny because this guy comes out. He's got a shirt that says, I got kid. He's charging down the ramp. Some other wrestler who had gotten eliminated clotheslines him, and he just doesn't make it to the ring for another <laughs> five minutes. And as other guys are coming out every 90 seconds, they're stomping this guy as they make their way to the ring. <laughs> nice. That was really funny. Like I really enjoyed that gag. And then he has his moment of triumph where another wrestler with a goofy mohawk uh, from the bar, what was his name, Seamus? Famous, yes. Throws Heath into the ring. Heath goes into the ring. He's in it for three seconds, and Heath knocks him over the top rope, and the whole crowd goes, oh! And then Heath gets thrown out by John Cena. Like, I thought that was that was really well put together from my point of view. That was the best kind of long-form gag that WWE has ever done inside a Royal Rumble. It was amazing. Um, it's going to get, uh, slight spoiler, it's going to get a award from me uh, later oh. on when we're talking about the individual awards. So, But yes, that was Heath Slater, who is kind of WWE's man that sucks right now, had <laughs> a... <laughs> that's because that's, that's pretty much what he is he's the kind of redneck west virginian guy with a whole bunch of kids who just he's kind of like an absolute joke but he has that kind of that fighting spirit and fights for his kids but he's just, not good so he keeps yeah. he fights for his kids but he keeps losing it's really exactly. funny I, his, I i said that was that was really together well the best Heath slater moment was when after the wwe draft when he was the sole person not drafted uh the night after 
this, he comes on to uh, Raw, WWE's flagship show, to interrupt a Brock Lesnar promo and beg for a job because he has kids and he needs this. And Brock, <laughs> and Brock that's Les- a great. That's a great angle. I'm sorry. And no, the best thing was Brock Lesnar when they're all trying to shoo him away. Brock Lesnar's like, no, 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 come here. I understand. I have kids too. And then Keith, in a moment of comfort, comes to Lesnar and goes face to face with him. And Lesnar's like, well, here's the thing. I don't give a fuck about your kids and beats the tar out. <laughs> nice. Oh, I love it. Those gags are great. Yeah. So other than that, Chris, I mean, that was the one thing that was my takeaway was Slater is, is the last name? Yeah, Slater. Yeah. Keith Slater. What was your big takeaway from this one? Because I, I understand that the Rey Mysterio reveal was huge. So explain that one. Okay. Um, so Rey Mysterio is kind of throughout the 90s and early 2000s, Rey Mysterio was kind of one of the biggest stars in WWE as a, as a very exciting luchador style, has puts on these impossibly athletic matches. And um, But when we got to around, uh, I think it was 2014 or 2015, uh, he was just kind of combination of disillusioned with WWE and just just kind of out of shape and kind of just not trying anymore. So around that time... Zero fucks being given. Zero fucks being given. Uh, WWE made him wear a shirt to cover up his gut. Uh, <laughs> what, they, what they perceived which, a gut. Which is entertaining yes. considering some of like the wrestlers back in like, the 80s, like Hulk Hogan, who le- like is also legitimately had guts. Oh, yeah. And like, uh, or like your uh, like your junkyard dog, who was just, just a large man. Not a muscular, just a large man man so he was just kind of kind of no fucks being given and the last time we saw Rey Mysterio was in the 2014 Royal Rumble when everyone was expecting someone to come out Rey came out instead and the crowd just took a huge shit on him and booed him mercy. that was the last time we saw him it was a very unceremonious exit and he's been kind of away from WWE for a while doing um, I guess smaller types of shows I think he was on Lucha Underground for a oh, while you see what you mean well. like you know wrestling in some fuck's backyard a little bigger than that he was on a um, like wrestling in a high school gym there you go <laughs> kind of yes uh, he was on <laughs> another he was yeah well I, i've seen plenty of shows in like uh uh what's it called elks lodges and stuff like that that's the type of places where he was wrestling he was on lucha underground for a while which uh i guess Maybe we'll talk about it another time, which is a very entertaining and bizarre wrestling show. But uh, basically, Rey Mysterio hasn't been seen in WWE in many years. And last time we saw him, it was a very unceremonious exit. And him coming out at, I think, the number 24 spot made everyone go insane. Like, he looked in shape. He was doing crazy flipping moves again. He looked like a contender to win, and everyone just kind of remembered. Everyone kind of forgot about that sad Rey Mysterio we saw back in 2014 and we saw the kind of kick-ass luchador that we remember back in the 90s and early 2000s. His... I will say this, like watching Rey wrestle in the ring, he was in it for a little less than 10 minutes. Uh, he was fun to watch. He was really flying around the ring, jumping off the ropes. He's a little guy. He he can't be more than 5'7". Let's see if I can find his height. He's 5'6". So he's a little guy, but he was flying around the ring. He was fun to watch. He is, yeah, this was this was the Rey Mysterio everyone remembered and everyone was, you know, the crowd was going insane for him. And in fact, his the YouTube video on his return at the time of this recording has about 11 million views on YouTube, mm-hmm. whereas the Ronda Rousey uh, debut had about like... 
like three million. So, so I, like, I, I will I will say like wrestling fans really love nostalgia. Like they love yeah. to see old wrestlers come back and you know or like yeah. you know people go back back and forth between heel and like, like, face. Was it? yeah heel and face. face. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I and learned then, that recently. Yeah, so you, I feel like like oh, I knew that face. Yeah, <laughs> some face. <laughs> right, you know they love to see them make that make those back and forth turns. Yeah. So um yeah some WWE uh is sometimes kind of bad with nostalgia in that they'll just bring in an old guy who can't wrestle anymore to beat up someone who is wrestling now. Uh, but the Rey Mysterio kind of return was like nostalgia done right. The kind of the old gunslinger coming back with a renewed sense of purpose and is just kind of kicking ass again. Yeah, he definitely delivered. Uh, that was uh, that was probably and the thing it is also with a lot of old timers now with WWE they're for lack of a better term super old right now. You can't yeah. re- there, there's very Less, there's fewer and fewer old wrestlers that can come back to do believable spots that the, Ray, the way Rey Mysterio did. Um, just before this event, there was the 25th anniversary of Raw, and we had the kind of return of this popular group, Degeneration X, DX, with like Shawn Michaels and Triple H, and they were just like a bunch of doddering old men in there. It's just not cool seeing them. So, so uh, before you go into your awards. Is it your awards for the whole, both Royal Rumbles? Because there was a girl Royal Rumble, which is kind of the big historical moment, because I don't want to gloss over that. No, not but, at all, yeah. Um, yeah before, I, I, do you want to go yeah, to your awards, or do you want to just talk about Shinsuke uh, winning this one and, and the impact that had, the, the, uh, the significance? I think, I think I'll get into that when, with my awards. I was going to kind okay. of do the men's one, and then we'll talk about the women's one, because I definitely am going to bring up uh, the great Shinsuke Nakamura. Okay, so just dive right into that. Okay, so I have a list of... Uh, Instead of kind of going minute by minute for this rumble, uh, I was just going to give out the awards for the kind of best or worst uh, performances of this rumble. Uh, There's some people that are probably going to get left out, some really good performances, but uh, that's the that's wrestling, baby. That's, right, do uh, better next time, wrestling, bitches. Wrestling will break your heart. So uh, first, I have the the Royal Rumble, the Men's Royal Rumbles uh, Montel Vontavious Porter Award, the MVP award. MVP MVP. <laughs> MVP was a wrestler back in the, I guess, the mid-2000s. And so the Rumble's Montel Vontavious Porter is a man that that uh, Joseph uh, alluded to before, and his name is Finn Balor. He is a uh, very popular Irish wrestler who kind of made his name in Japan as a very exciting junior heavyweight and for big matches transforms into a demon. So uh, And he, he has was... a 12-pack. The oh, dude yeah. has a 12-pack. His abs start right under his collarbone. He is the perfect combination for WWE because he has just this impossible body that you can grate cheese on, and the fans absolutely love him. He has that kind of credibility outside of the WWE where he was in big matches, and he is just very exciting to watch. He's like a, he like flies around the ring like a firecracker. Not so much flippy stuff that the way Rey Mysterio does, but everything you see him does has like fire. It connects. It has a purpose. Uh, he lasted 57 minutes and 38 seconds in the match with four eliminations. Uh, he, he was right up until around the end, so he was... He was the final four. He got squeezed out by Cena, right? He was, yes. He yeah. was um, He was, uh, He was. was a favorite to win by a lot 
lot of people. Um, the runner-up for this award, I want to give to the great Rusev, a uh, previously a Ivan Drago-style uh, foreign villain. You know, what, what was that gag on Futurama? He was like, where they did the wrestling episode, and they had the one robot that was like, ha ha ha, I am from another country. Your customs are strange to me. Look at my foreign passports. Everyone was like, <laughs> Oh, I remember that one, yeah. That was Rusev's character for the longest time. Giant Bulgarian guy who would crush anyone that was just thinking about America. But then a funny thing happened. He started to, like, talk in English, and everyone found out that he was, like, legitimately funny and charismatic on his own. And so he became one of the most over people in the Royal Rumble, or in WWE in general right now. So um, throughout the entire match, where everyone was kind of getting, you know, until the finish happened, until ev what everyone was kind of getting, like, kind of polite applause and cheers, everyone was chanting Rusev Day. Like, Rusev Day! Rusev Day! Um, he, uh, he's kind of one of the hottest things, so he's the other, kind of the runner-up right now. I'm very excited to see if, kind of, WWE straps the rocket to him. So, um, my next award for is the 7-Up Official Trademark Award for the coolest spot of the match. And that... Ooh, that's kind of a, that's a deep pop culture dive there. I remember the 7-Up spots. Still, they still have the spots on the 7-Up cans. <laughs> they do, but like, I remember that when, like, when that was an actual, like, marketing thing. Like, they had a spots, oh. they had a spots game for the original Nintendo. Yeah, I never, that was when they, um, they were just trying to whore out any type of IP possible to make Super Nintendo games out of. I haven't, I never got around to playing that, but I think I do want to try that one out. Um, so the coolest spot, what I mean by spot is just the kind of sequence of the match, the kind of back and forth, the, 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 the coolest looking more most either the most athletic moment or the sort of the most dramatic moment and for this i'm going to give to royal rumble mvp or battle royale mvp kofi kingston from the new uh kofi kingston's a wrestler who is in a ton of royal rumbles and battle royales he never wins them but he always has one moment where he gets thrown out of the ring and through some feat of crazy athleticism, he staves off elimination. Because to get eliminated, both your feet have to touch the floor. So, like, he can get thrown out and land on his hands and walk on his hands to the ring. Um, he can get thrown out, land on the barricade, climb up the barricade, and jump uh, across the floor back to the ring. He basically plays the most high-stakes athletic game of law uh, every single <laughs> I mean, And this time, I think he landed on one of his teammates and a pile of pancakes. Yes. Uh, his group, the New Day, they're kind of the paragon of tag team wrestling. Right hey, 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 Chris, the... just, just, just with that in mind, did the Mexican announcing table survive? They did not, no. but no. They survived this match, but not, not the one after. Just just assume that if you do see the Mexican announcing table, it's gone. Because <laughs> I, I remember you guys telling me that, and then the, the, the match that I watched with you at the pay-per-view, it survived somehow. There were a number of close calls, but the Mexican table survived. Yeah, they, I think at this point it's so meta that they uh, kind of build up the Spanish announced table being destroyed. And when it's not, it's like a big cool moment. 
Lawrence. So um, for this uh, Kofi Kingston spot, for this coolest spot, so the New Day, they're kind of the paragon of tag team wrestling right now. And they have the longest reigning, they have the record for longest reigning tag champs. And they're also super goofy right now. So like right now, they throw out pancakes to the ring. One of the members takes pancakes out of his tights and just like throws it into the into the crowd. Uh, for, that, that's so, kind for, of disturbing. It Does is, anyone but, eat the pancake? Uh... It at least touches people's mouths because they Whoa. have like a block. So in like the way Stone Cold Steve Austin used to like pour beer into his mouth very haphazardly, they have a box where they go to the crowd and just open it up and just pour pancakes onto people's faces. It's uh, it's really bizarre stuff. So basically what happens is I, I, I mentioned that because this is the reason why one side of the ring is just full of pancakes. Like, if I just kind of went in saying, like, Kofi Kingston staved off elimination because his foot was on a pancake, there'd understandably be a lot of questions. Like, why are there pancakes on the ring? But you know, happened, given though, that it's professional wrestling, I'm not actually sure those questions would would exist, but please keep going. <laughs> so what happens is, uh, for Kofi Kingston's teammates get eliminated, uh, they're on the side of the ring with all the pancakes. Then Kofi gets eliminated, but his foot lands on top of his teammates. And when he gets back up, he puts one of his foot, one of his feet, on a pile of pancakes. So he... It's not touching the floor. He is in the match still. And, like, that was goofy enough. But what happens is another wrestler, Jinder Mahal, was trying to shove him. He was on ringside trying to shove him out of the ring, uh, off the pit off the pile of pancakes. So what happened was Kofi's other two team members made a kind of human chair. Kofi stepped on it. And then from the outside of the ring, Kofi jumped up, jumped over the ring, jumped over the other wrestler, jumped back into the ring. Just an insane amount of air that he got. Well, they launched him. It was really something. He, he, he had to have gotten six, seven feet in the air just to clear the ropes and the other wrestler. It was, it was when they make, when, if they, induct him into the hall of fame it's this is going to be on his reel uh with all of his other crazy like the floor is lava games it's uh, it was really exciting to see i very much enjoyed it um uh, moving on with the awards, though, uh, I wanted to give out my uh, Nintendo 64 Kid Freakout for Best Surprise, and that I would have to give to Rey Mysterio. Uh, yes, who, the aforementioned Rey Mysterio. Right. I did have some um, slight runner-ups to that. You know, we, we covered about Rey Mysterio, why that was so exciting, but we got a couple of good surprises from NXT, which is WWE's farm system. Uh, we got two people, uh, the NXT champion, Andrade Cien Almas, who just the night before had this very grueling, long, and emotionally invested match for the championship. And he's out here the next day and lasted quite a while. And also um, another very big fan favorite, Adam Cole, who was in uh, kind of a no disqualification weapons match the night before and just got battered like crazy. And uh, the last one I just wanted to mention for the best surprise was the return of the Hurricane, who, uh, Joe, you, did, you didn't, you don't remember this guy, right? That 
I don't remember this guy, but oddly enough, I looked him up and he apparently got into a Twitter beef with a former porn star uh, a couple months back, uh, okay. which I thought was kind of funny. Um, <laughs> but yeah, he's just, he just kind of a joke character who came in and tried to take on John Cena and lost in about a minute. That was fun. Yeah. That was cute. Yes. The Hurricane, who is um, in the early 2000s, he was a cruiserweight named Gregory Helms and got a pep talk from Stone Cold Steve Austin about how to really apply himself more. Stone Cold Steve Austin noticed his Green Lantern tattoo on his arm and was just like, you're a fan of superheroes, kid? Why don't you be like a superhero? Give it your all. And he took that extremely to heart and started becoming a delusional superhero where he, this guy, this very wiry short guy would try to do power moves to much larger people and had like a secret idea. Yeah, and try to be a, have a secret identity as a backstage reporter. So he lasted about a couple of seconds before getting uh, just tossed by John Cena in this match after a 15, like 10 to 15 year period away from WWE. It was uh, very fun to watch, a very nice surprise. Um, So just to roll through these awards, uh, the Roman Reigns promo award for funniest moment, which we mentioned at the top of the show, uh, is also given to something we talked about that is the saga of Heath Slater. Yeah, that who, was good. Yeah, which was just, like I mentioned before, the best kind of long-form gag that WWE has done in a while. Um, the next part is the David Arquette Memorial Award for Worst Part of the Rumble. Uh, the reason why I mentioned David Arquette is, like I mentioned before, he is a weirdly integral part of wrestling history, where he was in a wrestling movie called Ready to Rumble that was uh, kind of based in WCW. And to promote that movie, he he, well, he won their heavyweight championship of the world. So it's kind of like, um, and the effect of it is kind of like, um, you know, if you have Stipe Miocic lose his belt to... Uh, I, I don't know, uh, Justin Timber or something. Like <laughs> yeah, that's about it, yeah. Yeah, if that that's kind of, and it kind of, it wasn't the death knell for the company, but it was the biggest joke for a while. And this, and I award this worst part to, and it really pains me to do this, Matt Hardy, the broken Matt Hardy. Who, is he still broken or is that like, has that made its way over or? I thought he was awoken, Matt Hardy. So uh, about all of that, uh, when he was on the independent circuit and in like the kind of smaller promotions, he kind of made this persona called Broken Matt Hardy, where he was kind of, he was insane and kind of a mythic superhero type of guy, had all these different powers, all these different type of weird cast of characters, and he got super over. He got so over that him and his brother got hired back to the WWE in kind of one of the most exciting WrestleMania moments of all time. Um, his brother's injured right now, and they kind of let him kind of inhabit this character again, this very insane uh, character who kind of speaks in weird riddles, and it's just this weird backyard wrestling drama that he puts on. And unfortunately in WWE, it has been very kind of flaccid to say the least. So, so what was the moment? Because he's only in the in the match for a minute. What happened? I don't well, even remember. He was, so for the past couple of while, he was feuding with a character named Bray Wyatt, who is a kind of Cape Fear inspired cult, who is just known as kind of currently one of the worst wrestlers. So he's, he's supposed to be this like big intimidating bad guy in league with The Undertaker, but just kind of loses everything. Loses all the matches that he's a part of. He's kind of a joke. Um, oh, this is the fat white dude with dreads. Yes, the fat okay, white dude yeah. with dreads who speaks in riddles. 
Um, they've been kind of in a nothing feud for a while and kind of Bray Matt Hardy just came in. They were beefing for a second and they eliminated each other. And so uh, he was the only everyone in the Royal Rumble looked really great, had a really good performance. But Matt Hardy and like I said, it pains me to do this. He was just he just kind of came in to uh, beat get into a beef with this guy with uh, negative heat. So, and uh, yeah, like you mentioned, it was kind of a blip on the radar. It was kind of nothing, which is crazy to think about last year when Matt Hardy was this Matt Hardy character was the hottest thing in the world. All right. How many more of these do you got? Because I want to get the rock punching someone and then I want to do the girls. One more. Uh, the Meat Boy Thespian Award for Most Dramatic Moments. And that was the finish of the match, which was the final six, which was uh, very much the past, which was John Cena, Rey Mysterio, and Randy Orton standing across the ring from, I guess, the future of the company, which was Roman Reigns, Shinsuke Nakamura, and the aforementioned Finn Balor. Uh, it was a really kind of inspiring moment, very nice dramatic moment showing kind of the past and the future where they want to take this. Um, and the best thing is like everyone in that ring could believably win and they did a really good job at manipulating audience because you could very much believe that like John Cena or Roman Reigns could win because, you know, they're the corporately mandated guys that would win and not if they would have won the fans would have lied but then you have finn balor and shinsuke nakamura which shinsuke nakamura is kind of a big deal japanese superstar who was on main evented you know japan's wrestle wrestle it's just a big deal and everyone kind of wanted to see him so the kind of showdown between them it was manipulative in the best way and in the end uh shinsuke nakamura at the way with the w the biggest win because final two was down to him and roman reign another kind of work and top Babe fans just shit on Tyre Nakamura. I would say most dramatic. What did you think of, uh, I guess, Shinsuke Nakamura? Oh, yeah. um, I thought he was pretty cool. I, I guess what kind of rubbed me, the only thing that rubbed me the wrong way about him was he's very spastic looking or he's spastic acting. And I thought that was a little too silly for my tastes. Um, I obviously thought he was highly athletic and entertaining to watch when he was actually wrestling. But like his finishing move, I did make, I did note it when I saw it. He grabs the turnbuckle. He stands in a really wide horse stance and then he drops his opposite hand to his crotch and then basically goes into a seizure. It's kind of like if Michael Jackson was doing his like diddly thing but also needed to go to the hospital soon afterwards and it looked a little uh, obscene and silly. Like maybe it would have worked in the Attitude Era but now that they've kind of PG'd the thing up it seemed out of place, but also kind of weird. So that he was the is, only thing that's a little much for me. Shinsuke Nakamura is absolutely weird. You see him coming to the ring. He's dressed in like he these. Has red teeth. He has red teeth. Yeah, that's his, his mouth guard that he has. And he comes out to the ring looking like he's coming out of a Michael Jackson video. And yeah, he is, you know, he does have some really like kind of silly mannerisms to him. Uh, but he is... The reason why fans really kind of like him a lot because it's a combination of that and the fact that he can really go in really uh, kind of athletic and violent matches. Uh, I saw him live in Brooklyn one time where the finish of the match ended with him like kneeing Samoa Joe to the face and breaking his jaw. Jesus. So he ha yeah, so he has like some like legitimate toughness to him and like all the kind of the silly stuff. That's kind of that's kind of 
it doesn't make him. It's just kind of a weird accentuation to him that um, I guess people dig because he's so good. Yeah, it, clearly it was it, people were digging it. Uh, no doubt, it was one of those things where I was like, meh. These are one of the things about wrestling I'm not I'm not keen on. But uh, that said, I did want to jump real quick to Brock actually colcocking someone in the middle of the triple threat match, uh, which is where where the the Spanish language table met its unfortunate end. I think everyone's table met their end in that match because there was a lot of people getting thrown on tables. But the quick thing that was really funny, and Chris, I'll, I'll set it up for you. You just explain real quick why it's important. Is you get this guy named Braun, what's his Strowman? Strowman. Strowman. There and and Kane's in the ring, but the the key moment happens early in the match where Brock is down on his on his like on all fours. Strowman throws what is supposed to be like a mock knee, but he connects the top end of his knee against the side of Brock's head, and you can see it stunned him. So when Brock comes up, he delivers a real sharp uppercut and right hook, like not not like a wrestling uppercut and right hook, a UFC uppercut and right hook, and that sends Brock stumbling backwards and then a brawn since Braun mm-hmm. stumbling backwards and then down then you see Brock yell something and then they could the match continue just explain that kind of quick moment real real fast that is what you call in the wrestling business a receipt when someone you know Braun Strowman gave Brock Lesnar just this very stiff very real strike to the side of his head and Brock Lesnar just gave him a receipt kind of a payback in the form of another very stiff punch to the head um it was very notable because in the replay of it they slowed down the entire thing and you saw the impact and you saw like both their faces kind of rippling oh yeah uh just the force of the of these strikes and that's not something wwe typically does so that's what surprised me about it is that at first i just thought it was them milking it because why would you showcase a slow-mo actual hit but looking listening to people later going oh no those were real hits i was like oh Okay, then. That's different. Um, you know, Brock Lesnar is a kind of, you know, tremendous athlete, probably one of the best athletes that WWE ever had. Um, but in WWE, he's kind of lazy at this point, stage of his career. He's kind of, he shows up when he wants to, and he doesn't have those super competitive matches that he used to have back in the early 2000s. So the best thing you can ask for is just a very violent affair where people are getting punched for real and announced tables are getting flipped on to people, and this match very much delivered for that. All right, so re- let's do the big the big reveal for the big moment for this Royal Rumble was the all female first ever all female Royal Rumble. How yeah. how how do how what do, what do you have to say about this one? Cuz I'll admit I watched it. I had no idea who the hell was a part of this. I was just <laughs> watching it for uh Rousey coming in. Uh, Rousey coming out. The only people who I recognized, like, legacy-wise, was Trish Status and, I think, Tori Wilson. And the only reason why I knew Sasha Banks and Becky Lynch is because you told me about them. So right. I was just kind of like, oh, this is fun. I don't know what yeah. any of this is. This <laughs> was a very kind of good, I don't want to say culmination, but a very good milestone in what WWE is calling kind of the, the women's evolution. Um, you know, I'm sure even if you don't watch wrestling, you kind of know the kind of reputation that WWE used to have with women. Um, kind of, you know, there's very, there were always, for many years, there's always been kind of very famous, uh, very talented women wrestlers. But for a good amount of time, it was always, you know, WWE hired statuesque models to be statuesque models and maybe do some wrestling-like things. And that kind of, for the past couple of years since 2012, that has all been kind of being rejected a little more. Uh, You have a woman named AJ Lee who became the most popular person in the company in 2012. 
change. Um, you have the kind of rise of NXT, the farm system of WWE, which was having kind of whopper matches, whopper women matches. And then you kind of have, you know, starting in 2015, the four horse, what you call four women in WWE were known for just tremendously charismatic, talented, beautiful women. And those four were um, Charlotte Flair, the daughter of Ric Flair, uh, Becky Lynch, Irish last kicker, very kind of fired up and always striking. Uh, Sasha Banks, the, the boss, the cousin of Snoop Dogg, who kind of comes out with the whole hip hop aesthetic. And uh, Bailey, who's the kind of overall good guy, just loves to, loves to hug and loves to be just well-liked and have good company. WWE's been kind of pushing more for actual women competition. They don't call them divas anymore. And this was kind of, and was actually putting them in competitive main event matches. And this is big insult. And this has been just like the men's Royal Rumble, the best Royal Rumble they've had. So that's pretty much the kind of nutshell. Um, did you have any kind of key takeaways from this, uh, dude? Not really. I think it was, I, I guess the only key takeaway I could come away with was, was, was that the costumes were really great. Like they really had hell of, hell, hell of a costume selection for all the women who were wrestling. That's, and, and that their hair stayed in place almost the entire match. That was also the other thing I was really like, wow, oh, that yeah. is just some serious hair gel. But Aquanet, man. So, well, oh, yeah. <laughs> it's just, it was serious. The, the costumes. had a straight up pompadour uh, for most of the match, and it stayed that way. It was, that was really amazing. Um, but no, other than that, I, I watched it. It was fun. Again, I think the, the format keeps it rolling because this was also an hour and some change. Yeah. So this, one, this the whole freaking thing was four and a half hours. But yeah, and this one had kind of a um, different feel to the men's Royal Rumble. The men's Royal Rumble had people just the ring slowly filling up and filling up. Whereas the women's Royal Rumble, you had a lot of quick action to get to a lot of, um, I guess, moments, more like kind of picturesque moments. Oh, that's true. Happen. I would say that, that the, the the women's were get they were tossing out wrestlers at a faster rate than the men's because the men's, they were filling up the ring to like eight at fairly frequently. Mm. And for a good chunk of this match, it was almost always four or five. Yeah, it was a very, very quick-paced one. It, it moved along. This was also about uh, about an hour or so, a little more than an hour, but it moved very fast. There's a lot of action. Um, I'm going to give out my awards now for yeah. this. And Run down your awards real quick, because I, I really want to talk about Rousey. Of course. Um, so, uh, for the Montel Vontavious Porter Award for the Rumble's MVP, I'm giving that to Sasha Banks, who entered at number one, lasted for 54 minutes and 46 minutes, and 46 seconds and eliminated three people so she was kind of the iron woman of this match just lasted a long time and and, and yeah. she took i think the most amount of beatings she, she got chucked did. around that ring for a solid 20 30 minutes before she started to throw people out that was impressive. Uh, yeah, she was just bumping like crazy. Uh, Runner-up for this award. Yes, a bump is when you um, kind of, when you uh, get kind of slammed down, you take a hit. That's called a bump. Um, the runner-up for this award, I'm going to give to the uh, returning Michelle McCool, who, um, so uh, something I forgot to mention at the beginning, this is a 30-woman rumble, and the roster had about like 18 women involved in this. So there was a lot of room for women from the past who maybe have gotten a short end of the stick at that uh, that era, didn't really get to show their chops, come in to really kind of make a scene. And that was no no one, no woman kind of exemplified
identify that more than Michelle McCool, who is the real-life wife of The Undertaker, kind of came in. She's a, you know, I wasn't watching wrestling too much when she was around, so I thought she was just kind of kind of statuesque model number 54. But she came in, and she was, like, throwing women out left and right. She eliminated, like, five. five yeah, she, five. She eliminated five, women. which is the most women eliminated, well, most uh, eliminations by a single athlete in the Royal Rumble, just behind Nina Jax, who's a giant tank throughout four. Right. So this was, I'm, I'm giving her the M, a kind of a rummer up for the MVP award because this was kind of a really great kind of, re, I guess, redemption to show, really show that this woman from the past could go when she didn't get the opportunity to go in the past. Um, coolest spot was uh, Nia Jax who you just mentioned before, was just kind of clearing house with everybody, was just, uh, she was kind of the powerhouse of the of the rumble, was just throwing people out left and right, and then even having kind of a dream kind of moment with a returning Beth Phoenix, who back in the day was the powerhouse of that era, and they kind of had a dream match moment. And the runner-up for that is the uh, Naomi kind of having the Kofi Kingston spot of the most dangerous floor is lava. Um, best surprise, I would say is Trish Stratus coming in at number 30 when everyone thought that it was going to be Rousey. Yeah, even I wasn't kind of I, I kind of like seeing Trish come out she, I haven't seen her in a, I mean, good God she's been uh, gone a long time, but she looked great. So yeah, great. didn't lose a step at all and it was she kind was of a nice 42. She was 42 when she uh, at this at this ta- uh, stage in her career It's the uh, answer to life, the universe and everything. So of course yep. she's amazing um, It was a really nice moment because she was known as kind of one of the, the best women wrestlers of all time. So to have her have that final number 30 spot was really nice and um, everyone from NXT kind of coming up had a was a nice surprise seeing Kyrie Sane throwing sweet elbows and Ember Moon after another grueling match from the night before uh, the funniest moment I would say is the return of Vicky Guerrero who is kind of this she was the wife of Eddie Guerrero a very famous wrestler from the uh, 90s and 2000s and kind of developed into this kind of shrill a uh, really funny, annoying kind of authority figure on screen. Um, she kind of came into the ring screaming at everyone, and everyone just kind of stopped, stopped dead in their tracks, and it was like, are you serious? What are you doing here? And they all kind of banded together just to toss her out of the- That was a fun little moment. Yeah. I met her before at a convention. She's the one of the sweetest people of all time. Really enjoyed seeing her. Um, the worst part, I would say, is um, the return of a wrestler named Kelly Kelly. So... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you didn't like her. Although I will say this, she looked smoking hot. She is. She is from that exact era where WWE just hired statuesque models to be statuesque models. But the crazy thing is, she was in with the company for six years. She left in 2012, never learned to wrestle, and was like a Divas champion during that time. And she came back during this and just was the same exact competency of wrestling. She still doesn't so, know how to wrestle. Yeah, she can't do simple things like running the ring ropes where you kind of rebounded into the ropes and come bouncing back. Um, she botched her big move, which is like a flying head scissors where she kind of, it's a big kind of seamless Lucha Libre move and she jumped on the person, looked kind of like a cat clawing to you when you're trying to give it a bath. So uh, that was uh, that was the one blemish of it. Granted, she probably never kind of got the training necessary to be a good wrestler, but it was pretty bad. Um, final award, the uh, meet woman thespian moment for most dramatic moment is a tie. One of them was uh, the Royal Rumble, excuse me, the Royal Rumble winner.
winner, Asuka, a very fearsome Japanese competitor who also moves very kind of weird like a Japanese ghost who has been dominating everybody in this match, just like kicking the faces off of people. She meets her old rival from NXT, Ember Moon, who um, Asuka has an undefeated streak. She's beaten everybody she's competed with in WWE, though Ember Moon is her asterisk because Mm. she's beaten her, but she always does it in the most rat way, cheating way possible because Ember always kind of had her number and right when she was about to win, Asuka would do something cheesy. In this case, it was kind of Asuka was targeting Ember's kind of arm in a cast and was just beating the crap out of that. So it was a nice kind of instance of this big match having little stories intertwined. And then the finish was kind of amazing. Um, We mentioned before about Sasha Banks just getting the tar kicked out of her for the entire match. She entered the match as a good guy, but got got beaten so badly she eventually snapped and became heel and throwing out like Trish Stratus, throwing out Bailey and getting all of these um, women that you want to cheer for eliminated. And kind of the final moment of the match was her and was after she gets eliminated by uh, Asuka, the final moment of the match where kind of Asuka and the last woman, Nikki Bella, were fighting on the side of the ring apron, which might as well have been fighting on the top of the Empire State because if you fall down, you're dead. So Again, not fighting. Much, yeah. Oh, Matt, sorry, matching. Is that, <laughs> that was the rule, real quick. That was the rule. So Chris, you can come on and talk about Royal Rumble, but they're not fighting. That's the, I'm just going to correct you every chance I get. No, no, no. What you said was that they're not called fights, they're called matches. So what, were they ma- Were they matching on the you side? You can say brawling. The- you can say brawling, going at it. Be- I don't oh. care. It's no, go- going at it, it's an entirely different thing. Oh, <laughs> you're being such a semantics bitch with this, but okay. Like, oh, were- when has he not been? I mean, don't don't misunderstand. <laughs> yeah. He's got a point right now, but, you know, it's kind of like, <laughs> okay. that's, kind of, that's kind of dude's MO. Okay, so let me rephrase it then to, to appease dude. Asuka and Nikki Bella were fighting in the fictional context of the WWE universe. (laughs) (laughs) You you say it like that every time? I'm totally cool with it. Yes, and the the flip side is when you talk about like Game of Thrones or something like that, you have to say that as well because they're not really fighting either. No, totally. It's fine. Okay. Um, So yeah, very cool final moment with them uh, kind of brawling on the side of the ring, trying not to fall down, and then just Asuka being the better win. And knocking her off. I thought that was so. Let's wrap. I want to wrap this up because this is what I really wanted to get your opinion on. Is the whole Royal Rumble is over? We're like, oh, where's Ronda? Asuka's in the middle of the ring. The two women champions go into the middle of the ring, and then shit gets awkward from my perspective. Is (laughs) they stage this, the music starts to play, and then out comes Ronda Rouse in this big entrance that the camera didn't cut too fast enough, just heard the audience, and Mm -hmm. you're like, what's going on? And then you see Ronda, she comes out, she goes into the ring, she points at the WrestleMania sign. She doesn't say anything. She points at the WrestleMania big logo that's hanging over the arena. Then she tries to shake Asuka's hand. Asuka smacks it. Then Ronda goes to Stephanie McMahon, who has been guest commentating, shakes Stephanie's hand, goes back into the ring, points back at the sign, looks at the three female wrestlers in the ring, and then leaves. And I went, well, that's great. Ronda's here. Now that what? Was, that was really weird and awkward. So there's two things. One, why not give her a thing to do? Like, make it dramatic. Like, if she points at the sign, fireworks. They love fireworks. I guess maybe they can't do it inside thing. But Budget do you think, I guess, but do you think, well, A, do you think that her appearance kind of stepped on Asuka's historic win? And B, how do you feel about Ronda in the WWE? Because as far as I'm concerned, I think this is great for her. Uh, she built women's MMA. I mean, 
mean, there was no division in the UFC for for women. Uh, she made it. Now there are four. There's 115, 125, 135, and Cyborg. Those are the four divisions. They, that would not exist without Ronda. So, yeah, she lost her last two fights. The field caught up with her, but she was still one of the best women fighters of her age. Go do wrestling. You don't want you don't want to keep getting those Ronda Rousey kicks in the head, um, Holly Holm kicks in the head, and Amanda Nunes beatings. She's done. She, she had her championship run. Be an entertainer. Make money. Chris, where do you stand on this? That was the big kind of discussion about uh, if Ronda coming at the end kind of sullied Asuka's win. I'm leaning more towards it not doing it because Asuka was in the match. She did win the match without any kind of Ronda Rousey shenanigans. And, you know, no one's ever going to take this away from her. This is all of those moments until Ronda Rousey showed up is kind of a Hall of Fame real ready moment and she's gonna probably go to wrestlemania to have a super dramatic match so um i think ronda coming in at the end in and of itself didn't sully uh oscar's big moment and it was a very nice moment to see her um as for rousey in the wwe it um it can be very good um legitimate athletes have come in before and kind of made a big impact in wwe uh but the key factor is that they kind kind of got wrestling you know Kurt Angle came in as an Olympic gold medalist and didn't succeed in WWE because he was such an accomplished athlete even though it was part of it is because he got wrestling he got kind of kind of manipulating the crowd kind of telling a story and you know kind of making your an ass of yourself in the ring sometimes too well he, he got he got the wrestling part he didn't get the entertainment the showmanship part oh are you talking about Kurt Angle yeah well, that, well, that's what I'm that's what I'm saying he, yeah he got it. he got all of it and that's why he was so successful um Rousey she's a great athlete I think think she has the potential to become a really great wrestler she just needs to get the entertainment portion of it down right now yeah that's because that's a big question mark is are the fans going to get behind her because otherwise all this is going to be is like wwe trying to get kind of cheap mainstream press which they do quite a bit it's a it was a big reason why cm punk walked out on them yeah. uh but we'll see like what happens with her uh her buddy Shayna baszler who was another ufc fighter in her group she's right now wrestling for nxt and you know she's another like really great athlete but she when you watch her she gets wrestling she's kind of she has a character about herself as opposed to showing like skill well so if rousey can go on her path and kind of develop her wrestling character then she'll be huge all right then all right and if not yeah yeah all right folks yeah all right folks if you like what we do make sure you head over to thereforegeek.com check out our blog post on our podcast you can find us on facebook instagram and uh stitcher and you can find this podcast on itunes soundcloud youtube and stitcher (laughs) so once again i'm andrew i'm dude and i'm your buddy chris brother well played sir and you've been listening to therefore i geek